Okay, guys, so welcome to the Rubonas podcast. I'm the host, Donatas Rubonas. I'm joined by Augusta Szylauskas, Edith Szylauskas. No time for creative and funny intros this time, guys. So let's talk about the main action. We'll go through all four quarterfinal games of FIBA World Cup 2023 and share our semifinal predictions. Is that fine with you, gentlemen? Of course. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Uh, let's start from the most emotional quarterfinal game. Slovenia, Canada, a lot of emotions behind that back-to-back Slovenia elimination in the quarterfinals. And just before sharing our opinions, our takes about the game and what was uh, around the game, just let's say a short note from my side. I love to watch Luka Doncic. For me, he's like the Mozart of basketball. Pure art of... Uh, pure act of art, let's say, on a basketball court, which I'm I'm grateful to witness in person. It's incredible how he makes Slovenia team so much better. And those guys also deserve a huge credit for making it into the quarterfinals. I'm not, I didn't necessarily see them uh, going that uh, far. But listen, Tokyo Olympics 2021. Slovenians lose their minds against Australia. They freak out about the refereeing and lose the bronze medal game. Luca tames blame uh, for getting too much into the distractions, but admits he's 20, tw- uh, 22 and he got to learn from it. Eurobasket 2022. Luka Doncic gets fouled out in the middle of the fourth quarter. Slovenia lose to Poland in the Eurobasket quarterfinal game. And one of these personal fouls was technical foul for discussions with the referee. World Cup 2023. Luka Doncic gets ejected. In the, uh, from the game in the beginning of the fourth quarter with more than seven minutes to play, I think. Both technicals for arguing with the referees. I mean, there has to be a point where Slovenia should stop this game, you know, Slovenia against the, against the world of referees because it really hurts them. And Luka Doncic, although he took responsibility after this game for not con- handling these emotions, he should stop taking responsibility for that and instead, he should uh, take action to deal with the issue because I think that it hurts a lot of him, not just in FIBA basketball, but in the NBA basketball. Because, like, I had to rewatch this game just, you know, to convince myself because watching the game live in person in the Mall of Major Arena, I was like, it doesn't look that bad. The refereeing doesn't look that bad as you can think watching all these emotions boiling over on Slovenia bench. And, you know, Luka Doncic basically complaining about the referees from the uh, tip off. So, you know, I, I, I felt really, you know, dra- it, it was really draining experience to watch it all over again and to see so many unnecessary emotions, also starting from Luca who complains to referees even when they make a foul call. Uh, and those emotions translate to his teammates. And then you see situations when you kind of, there's a clear foul on Chad, Gilgis and Alexander shooting the ball. Then you see Chabashik also, you know, hitting uh, hands of RG Barrett or or even Shea uh, during the drive and you see them you know complaining to the ref like it was a huge mistake I mean and the worst part I mean Luka Doncic making this money sign not just passing the referees but also it felt like he was watching it over the VIP tribune where the FIBA executives were seated and showing this sign throughout the entire game a few times there were a few occasions and then coming to the press conference, where's this platform, you know, to speak about this thing. And he's, uh, when he's asked about it, 
what does it mean, what it's all about, he says nothing. I mean, for me, it's it's, it's not cool. And I mean, I love I love Slovenia team. I love Luka Doncic, but just I just cannot handle it anymore as a journalist, as a basketball fan in general, and as a Slovenian basketball fan. So that's my to, two cents about the game. To me, your your points that you made is I absolutely agree. And probably the most important part of it is I think that, uh, you know, Luca is the leader of the team and the way he uh, behaves translates to all of his teammates. And not only you see Luca who is getting mad at the calls, who is even making uh, smirky faces or smiles after he gets called, uh, after the opponents get called for a foul, but also then his teammates start to do exactly the same thing Slovenians lose their mind and after playing well in the first half you know one reason why they lost in the second half was their emotions because they, they cannot simply handle it and I'm pretty sad that we have to talk about this instead of the great game we had the game plans the Luca versus Shea the other guys stepping up uh, but Slovenia Slovenians actually made you know, us talk about it first because it was just a, the main story after the game was refereeing basically uh, what they did throughout the game, what they mentioned in the interviews after. Um, I know, I know, emotions running high on in the quarterfinals of the of the World Cup. It's probably the most important game, you know, of the tournament because you don't you don't get to play for the medals if you lose. But I don't buy this argument that you are the the emotions are running high only because you're playing for your nation. Um, that, that's not, that's not the, the, the real, the real reason. And, uh, and Luca, Luca has to learn. Luca has to learn. He has been saying that for three years, but, um, he hasn't taken a step, step in, step in front. And Shea was a perfect example. And, you know, I wrote that on Twitter that Shea was calm and collected throughout all the game and, uh, I, one response I got was that, hey, I would be calm if I got 16 free throws. But it's it's not like he was he got calls for for every in every in every situation he was involved. He got calls for those for those situations where you slap the ball, uh, slap the slap his hand, not not the ball when he's driving towards the rim, where the Slovenians move and got a blocking foul instead of offensive foul for Shea. So. Shea was calm and collected all the game. Canada kept their cool. Luca did not. His teammates uh, followed his their his example. And in the second half, I thought it was it was kind of a big uh, reason why they lost. I mean, he actually stayed on the court much longer than than expected because he got his first technical pretty early, and then. Even this trash talking to the FIBA officials or whoever he was shouting at and throwing money signs and all that, that's a punishable act in my opinion. You can give a technical for it as well he because once he got his first technical, he stopped talking to the referees. Instead, he found other targets and other people to blame and just and, just and, just you know, add, you cannot just add when he got the technical, he started uh, uh, let's say endorsing his head coach Sekulic uh, to give to make yeah. pressure on referees. He even shouted at him, you know, to be more vocal about that. 
It is, and you remember uh, Mikhail Bridges showing a three-finger sign to the Italian bench. That got a tear. Straight to Gigi Datome, straight to Gigi yeah. Datome. Of course, that's taunting. That's that's the technique. And and you don't need to go there as far as the Team USA game. In that same game, before Luca getting ejected, Dylan Brooks, who who already had an unsportsmanlike like foul, he was just taunting. I think Clement Prepelich after a three-pointer. Uh, going into timeout, he was just trash talking straight to his face, and 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 he was disqualified from the game. He was ejected. He got his he, he got a technical foul in in, in European rules, unsportsmanlike foul plus mm. a technical is an automatic ejection. So it's not like there were some double standards or anything like that. Uh, and everything has been said already. You you said everything. You summed it up perfectly. And I just want to say, look, I mean, maybe you're used to getting some respect calls because you're Luka Doncic but it doesn't mean that the referees have to go that way I mean you bump straight into Ludor take a wild fadeaway shot and you expect to get two free throws just you because you bumped a guy he didn't do nothing to you he was just standing his ground and you bumped into him and then you're complaining that, that, that there's no foul call. I, I don't really have any problem with, with the refereeing in this game uh, or in the competition itself. I mean, it's, it's been fine so far. Nothing much to complain about. Uh, so, yeah, we've spent 10 minutes talking about this issue. So maybe we should just move on to basketball just, finally. Yeah, j j just the last thing. Uh, I also agree there were... a a few occasions when actually Luca was kind of, you know, fishing for a foul with Dylan Brooks, just trying to grab him, you know, and to make some contact. So, yeah, he was also, you know, initiating those contacts and those situations to make referee's job even uh, harder. But I had this the same question at the press conference uh, for Luca, and I asked them actually to rank where they see, you know, what separates them from making it to the podium and where they see in this ranking the problem of handling the emotions. To be honest, I think that there are a few things that separates them from winning medals, uh, historical medals for Slovenian basketball, uh, of course, except from the 2017 Eurobasket gold. Uh, it is talent, which is obvious. And it's not like you can do something about it. I mean, of course, it's very bad that Latko Chanchar got injured, Edo Muresh got injured. But even if they were on a team, you know, still you cannot say that the Slovenia team is very talented team compared to other teams, except from Luka Doncic. This is what you cannot control, but you can easily control the emotions. And I think that the emotions, the lack of handling emotions, and of course, the lack of, uh, we kind of repeated ourselves that they, for us, they don't, look too serious about these uh, national team competitions with their discipline, with their professionalism. Not I'm not sure if I would rank this reason higher than, you know, lack of uh, emotions management. But let's say these are things that you can control. And I I've, I've hope, I hoped it already last year, but I hoped it this year as well. But hope that in the future, Slovenia will do something about it. Because two of these three factors that separate them from the podium uh, controllable so yeah we can continue with basketball related stuff okay finally now we can start a podcast uh, <laughs> yeah so basketball wise we we, we expected to, to have a great game uh, we expected uh, Jordi Fernandez to throw bodies on Luca uh, Dylan Brooks 
was doing a hell of a job. And at the same time, he was doing all the right things on offense. The, the, the man deserves a lot of credit because he basically saved Team Canada versus Spain. Uh, and in this game, he also hit some big shots. And Canada has, has this sort of weakness that they don't have enough shooters on the floor. And, and sometimes it, it, it's going to be hard for Shea Gilgis-Alexander to be uh, their primary offensive option if other teams go double or even triple him and force him to pass the ball. But in this game, they got the flow early. Uh, people started making shots, even those people that maybe Slovenia wanted to see shooting the ball, like Ludort, they were making shots as well. Uh, guys like Nikhail, Alexander Walker were making plays, and, and everything was just clicking. Like, Slovenia managed to, to match them in terms of offense by, by amazing shooting. Um, they got three-point shots from Krepelic, from Doncic, from Nikolic. I think they were like close to 70% uh, after the first 10 half. 10 of 17. So the game was 50-50. 10 of 17, yeah. And, and the game was 50-50, literally 50-50. That was the score. Uh, but I could sense that Canada is a third-quarter team. They, they've proven it versus uh, France. They've proven it versus Latvia. Uh when they had a close score and then they hit in the third quarter. So I was, I was hoping, I was expecting to see more of the same. And basically that's what happened. In the third quarter, Canada got even more physical, even more aggressive. And RG Barrett finally got to play the game the way he wants. He wants to run in the open court. He wants to have all these coast-to-coast -coast, uh, finishes. Uh, he didn't make his part of shots. He had great opportunities, but in the end, his performance w w was a huge help uh, to Shea Gilgis Alexander. And it, in the second half, Shea Gilgis Alexander played without uh, without rest. He played a whole twenty minutes, but he managed to rest on some possessions where where, where he could just stand there. Uh, other guys play with the ball. And, and he just saves his energy for the fourth quarter for the for the most important minutes to close the game. And I think Jordi Fernandez game management deserves a lot of credit. The way he reacted to everything, the way he had his game plan prepared, the way he trusted uh, Dwight Powell in all these switches and how he was prepared to have a strong side help when Lucas driving to his right hand. So, yeah, great performance by Canada, well-deserved win and they are now, now finally proving that Canada is becoming a real uh, powerhouse in, in, in basketball. I thought uh, the, plan was, the plan was excellent, even though in the first half it wasn't working as well as Canada might have expected. But, you know, it's Luka Doncic, one of the best players in the world. So I love that they were influencing him to his right hand, which, you know, you, you, you might think it's his, strong, it's his strong right hand, but... Forcing Luca Wright makes him more of a driver to the rim instead of a step-back three-point shooter. And actually, in the second half, uh, it was working pretty well because Luca drove, I think, to the paint three, four times and scored only one bucket out of four driving for layups. So it's not only you are limiting him to two-point shots and not three-pointers, you are also making it tough for him because he has to shoot, shoot floaters over, over help, over Dwight Powell at the same time. So while in the while in the first half, uh, Luca was doing a pretty good job, you know, passing the ball to his teammates when the when the double st stunts came, and then they were like uh, dribble to the paint, another kick out pass, extra pass, and they're shooting a wide open three pointer. So that's why they scored fifty points. 
in the second half he misses those layups and canada get to do what they do best defense to offense i mean i think they scored like um 10 times eight nine ten times in the transition after a, a good defensive possession they just go out and run and uh, they score a layup in the second half that's what created that the, for them a 10-point lead and uh this is their biggest strength i think in most of the third quarters uh, in the games that they won it was exactly this they defend pretty well and then it's shea rj barrett other guys running in transition so i love that they tried to attack luca as well uh a lot like rj barrett if luca was guarding him in the first half in the second half he just goes and, att and attacks luca and pretty much gets a layup anytime anytime he wants because you know luca luca can do everything by himself he, he his usage rate is so high on this team that he can play offense for 40 minutes and he can play defense so that's smart from canada trying to target him and uh dylan brooks was amazing i thought you know we we all talk about these foul calls but the way lou dort and and brooks were playing defense with their chests not their hands as opposed to what uh, slovenia were doing because slovenia were reaching from the first minute these guys yeah of course they reached a couple of times but for most of the time for 90 percent of the time they were playing the defense with their chests and and staying in front so that was really cool and shay i mean Nikolic is not stopping Shea Gildas Alexander one on one, and they were not sending double teams. They were they were letting him cook. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard to stop Shea in the NBA, and you have Nikolic or or, or some other guys from Slovenia backcourt trying to Jakob trying Blažić, to stop the guy. Uh, for facts, yeah, let's say for fact, Jakob Blažić was thrown on him in the beginning of the game. Yeah, but there was there were a lot hey, of moments I, where I, Nikolic. Where, where it was guarding Shea and and you know it's in in, er, in early transition he's just attacking him and, and that's it it's easy two points when he does his spin move what can you expect from a guy like Nikolic what can he do uh, to, to stop a beast a beast like a machine like like Shea Gilgis Alexander and I have to say this this is the most casual 30 plus <laughs> point performance I've ever seen in FIBA it seemed like he just effortlessly got 30. Like maybe he, if he wanted, he could get 50, but 30 was enough to win the game. So he ended up uh, on a double-double. He's just so smooth. Obviously now we're, we're approaching the semifinal stage. He's the clear front runner for the MVP of the competition, but it also depends where Canada ends up. But so far, I mean, wow, he's so consistent so cool does all the right things trusts his teammates which is also very important and and, and it's been a pleasure to, pleasure to watch him play yeah it's it's been a pleasure to watch dylan brooks and luka Doncic matchup the whole time uh when i rewatched the the game uh it didn't show uh, everything and all the actions all the stuff that happened around this uh, matchup i mean he, he was under luka skin from the tip off uh, he was always trash talking when Luca was complaining to referees. You know, Dylan Brooks was uh, doing uh, whining uh, gestures, uh, saying a lot of shit. 
to 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 Luca and stuff. And of course, after making those three pointers, which were crucial again, I mean, in the last two do or die games for Canada, he was six from eight from the three point line. I mean, which is crucial for Dylan Brooks and Canada, yeah. and especially I think that. Slovenia could have get a lead in the first half, especially having such a great shooting night uh, in the first two quarters. But when you get Dylan Brooks, I think he made like two threes in the first half. Uh, Lou Dort also made threes and it, it looked like, you know, Slovenia defense, they took some risk on them. And, you know, when they, these guys make those shots, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> It's impossible to be in, in in front, but anyways, just just to say about this matchup. I mean, uh, of course, uh, to Canada's advantage, uh, referees let the physical play, so that was good for Dylan Brooks. That was good for Dort, for all the Canadians, because they're just, you know, you cannot match their physicality, especially if if you're Slovenia. Uh, and actually, you know, watching Dylan Brooks being under Lucas' skin and you know giving him so much contact and actually getting a first foul against Luca on the third quarter was a huge achievement uh, as well so great job by Dylan Brooks I mean, hey and yeah it is and and as August said about about their defense these two guys Dort and Brooks uh, the way they didn't use their hands it's just the, the, their chest uh, and they absorb the contact and you can't really push them there was this one uh, one moment where I think Mike Toby tried to post up Lou Dort and after a couple of dribbles, he wasn't closer to the rim. He was further from the rim. So how can you move a, a guy like Lou Dort? And, and it's, it's not only about them. Obviously, Canada was switching. So it was a, a, lot of, a lot of possessions where Dwight Powell would be the guy next uh, guarding Luka Doncic on the perimeter. But what uh, Brooks and Dort managed to do is to... Um, absolutely limit or even eliminate Luka Doncic post-up post-ups like we know his he's got moves you know he's got the strength and he can post up almost anybody he can post up some some centers from from other teams but I think in the in this quarterfinal there was only one successful post-up where he sort of uh, made a made a quick move and and just Dylan Brooks couldn't catch him and he finished with a layup but all the other times, he just couldn't create an advantage by posting up uh, Dylan Brooks or Lou Dort. And that was a huge thing. We know how important uh, it is for Luca, the way he uses this as his strength, even in the NBA. Uh, so Canada had all the tools to, let's say, limit Luca Doncic. I'm not saying to stop him. He still influenced the game. Uh, but but they managed to limit him yeah just just how i wrote uh, in my article before the game i think it was the best perimeter uh, perimeter defense and perimeter defenders that luka Doncic ever faced in the fibo national team uh, national teams basketball and uh, still with their effort the way they play defense and the i mean how despite be, them being so great, Luka Doncic scores 26 points and, and 29 minutes of game. Okay, he was uh, uh, 8 from 20 from the field, but still, I mean, that's that we're talking about huge numbers. So, kudos just to my talent, of course. Just, just my last note, probably on this game and how tough it is to limit Luka and how he adjusts during the game is that you know, he sees that Canada are, st are switching with him in the beginning so 
he sees Dwight Powell. He thinks then, okay, so let me let me ask, let me pick out Kelly Olynyk then if they are switching. Let's see if they are switching with him as well. Uh, Luca sees that. Luca sees Olinik in front. tries to tries to get him uh, for a couple for a couple possessions in a row, and uh, then the answer, you know, they score. Then the answer from Jordi Fernandez in the second quarter is that he takes out both Olinik and uh, Dwight Powell out of the game, and we see the com- you know we see the basketball uh, evolution completed because in that moment. In the game for Canada, there was Shea, Brooks, Lou Dort, Alexander Walker, and RJ Barrett. This is five backward players, let's say position one, two, three players, all five at the same time on the court. No no power forward, let's say typical, no center. And um, Slovenia also lo- looks to that and responds. They play, I think, uh, four backward players and one maybe power forward, I think there was in that game and i was like thinking okay this is this is basketball evolution completed five five backward players at the same time it's just it just tells you how hard it is to uh play against luca you think of a plan you have to adjust already in the second quarter at the beginning because he knows the weak spot of your plan and so to limit him to you know subpar shooting night and have a have him mad is just amazing accomplishment Speaking of leadership, Germany, Latvia, watching this game, I felt like it was one of the weirdest individual hmm. performances by the leader of the team, Dennis Schroeder, 4 of 26, the way he forced the game, uh, he, he hit the first field goal, I think, after 12 unsuccessful attempts, and the way he tried to force those plays and those shots was so weird and especially in the fourth quarter there was this feeling that okay Latvia is reducing the lead and the German Germany's you know ship is sinking and Gordon Herbert just standing on the sidelines and watching you know how Dennis Schroeder continues playing this one-on-one and just or just you know Dennis Schroeder a nightmare basketball and I was like I know we're is he going to sub him I know we are going to uh, have a nice discussion here with Ritis and all the guys. I mean, I was, I was, to be honest, I was shocked. But at the same time, you know, watching Germany making it to the semifinals of the World Cup, having a consecutive amazing FIBA performance, I didn't want to make this, you know, Dennis Schroeder's game or let's say Dennis Schroeder's nightmare. So I will try to, you know, turn tables and say that having Dennis Schroeder having the worst game of his life and Germany still qualifying to the semifinals. And I mean, not just Schroeder has a bad shooting night. With him on the court, Germany was minus 20 in 13 minutes of action. In uh, 13 minutes of action. And, you know, watching him play, it felt like it was four Germans playing against six Latvians. So for Germany to win that game, it just tells that how great they are, that with their best let's say one of the best players or the main floor general playing for the ever team, they still managed to win and to go to the semifinals, that's huge. So it, it was a very weird game. How, how did you feel about that? I think people are being too harsh on Gordy Herbert, first of all, and also on Dennis Schroeder. It's not like he took 26 bad shots. Uh, okay, on the last possession, he kind of screwed up because he just dribbled the ball and passed it to Bonga, got it back with two seconds left and couldn't create a, a, a good shot and, and Latvia 
had a chance to win it. But but I mean, it's not like he took 26 bad shots, 26 bad decisions. Some of these shots he usually makes. He has the confidence in himself. The team has confidence in him. Gordy Herbert trusts him. After the buzzer sounded, the whole team went to Dennis Schroeder to hug him. They realized, okay, our captain, our leader didn't perform very well today, didn't perform to his standards, but he's still our leader. In the past, he's been winning games for us. In the past, we got a, a Eurobasket bronze medal because, because of his leadership. So we're going to trust him till the end and we're going to go with him. And let's say leaving him out of the fourth quarter was not an option. In my opinion, if Gordy Herbert does that, he doesn't have Dennis Schroeder for the semifinal. And maybe that's the end of their relationship, the, the player-coach relationship. And, and maybe Dennis Schroeder even retires from the national team. Who knows? We know that he has a big ego. So part of your job as a coach is also to manage personalities, not only to make basketball decisions. And he realizes that if I give this treatment to Dennis Schroeder, he's not going to perform for me in the semifinal. We might have a, have a bigger problem. We might have a chemistry issue. So we have to trust him. And he still made two big plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, that M1 finished, the other, the other drive finishing with his left hand. And, and it was clear that the game's not going his way and, and he's not making shots. So maybe an option would be to have him on the court, but to have the ball more often in, in Franz Wagner's hands. Although they did it for two possessions in a row and Latia just packed the paint forced Franz Wagner to pass the ball. He passed it to Foytman. Foytman missed an open shot. But, okay, maybe that was a possible solution. But if I'm in Gordy Herbert's position, I'm probably doing the same thing. I think Gordy Herbert has more of an NBA type of approach. Old-school European coaches like Pesic or, or, or any others would probably approach things differently. But that's the thing. That's, that, that's how Germany plays basketball. It's a lot of iso ball. That's the way they attack the switches. Dennis Schroeder has Davis Bertans guarding him after a switch. I would always take that if I'm Germany. It, just, it, it was just a nightmare scenario, as you said, with, with, with terrible shooting, 4 from 26. I think that he, he broke some anti-record of, of, of the FIBA World Cup. But, but anyway, I want to defend Gordy Herbert in this uh, and, 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 and Germany. And maybe now Schroeder... Uh, after feeling that these guys really trust me, will deliver his best game in the semifinal, and we, we will say, wow, how great he is and how great uh, Gordy Herbert is I as agree. a coach. I agree with you both in, in, in some way. I agree with Ritis that Dor Gordy Herbert doesn't deserve any critics whatsoever. Uh, I thought you said the right thing. I was expecting Dennis to take different decisions in the end. I was expecting Germany to run their offense maybe through some other guy. And it's not like France was struggling. He was five from eight in the second, in the, in the whole game from the field. He, they actually made a run without Dennis from plus three to start the fourth quarter to plus 12, I think, or plus 10 in those three or four minutes without him. And, you know, the plus minus in this game speaks volumes. They were minus 20 with him for 30 minutes. So it means they were plus 31, plus 21 in the 10 minutes he didn't play. And uh, that that's a huge difference. And I just thought you mentioned, you know, Dennis, Dennis having uh, Davis Bertans on him for, for, for quite a few possessions, let's say, during the game. But why 
even with Davis Burton's keeping distance from you, why the hell you're shooting a step back three pointers um, after, you know, you, in this moment, he's like probably four of 20, four of 21, four of 18, whatever. You have a speed advantage over Davis Burton's that is, I don't know, different like day and night, you know. Uh, I couldn't manage a better reference at the moment. So it was just, for me, it was the decisions, the shot selection, and I thought Germany and Dennis could go to other guys in the end because you have options. You have Wagner, you have Obst, you have Voigtman. You have so many guys that can do that. And it was just pure isolation basketball in the end, despite he was like four from 22. I... I don't have a problem with Dennis Schroeder missing 22 shots. I had a problem of him destroying the whole flow. As Augusta said, Germany had a great stretch before Dennis Schroeder showed up in the on the court in the fourth quarter and he uh, finished the game being on the court. Uh, and it, the, the whole flow just changed dramatically. So that was the main, main issue. And as Augusta said, you know, he took some crazy de decisions uh, how to finish some plays and I'm not blaming uh, Gordon Herbert uh, at all. Uh, I mean, in his shoes, I would do the same just for the reasons uh, Ritas mentioned because I'm sure that in the semifinal game against the USA, he will be way different and I also love the German players' reaction both in the press conferences or the mix zone, you know, uh, having nothing to complain about Schroeder. I also like that Schroeder also took the responsibility, of, you know, admitting it was his worst uh, game ever. Uh, and he also mentioned one very important thing. He stayed positive on the court. He didn't want uh, the, his shooting night to translate into a body, bad body language, which translates to his team. That's what I liked about his leadership. But I just didn't like the way he changed the flow uh, of his team. And, you know, Gordon Herbert just uh, chose to go go down or just you know finish winning the yeah. game with Dennis Schroeder having this night so you you win with your leader you lose hey. yeah you win yeah. with your leader you lose with your leader and I cannot imagine I cannot imagine yeah. how Dennis feels with how the teammates have responded towards him I know they got lucky Davis Burton's missed a shot and but imagine how the guy has to feel he missed he pr plays the worst game of his career, they still win, and that's your teammate's reaction. That's your coach's reaction. So I can imagine he just now wants to be the best uh, possible Dennis Schroeder he can be in the semifinal, yeah, and, and that's huge for Germany. And, and, and you know, actually, yeah, we're focusing a lot on, on Dennis Schroeder. We probably have to talk about Germany. They still won the game, so uh, they managed to win the game somehow. Uh, I, I just want to say what changed the game for them was. Uh, the substitutions in the second quarter, Johannes Thiemann and, and uh, Moritz Wagner just started dominating physically. They sort of found Latvia's Achilles heel and that's where they started attacking. They especially were, they basically put a target on Davis Bertans. I know he, the guy was hitting freeze and, and had an amazing uh, performance, but defensively, he was the target. They were targeting him, obviously. And Moritz Wagner and Thiemann, uh, I think they allow Germany to, let's say, stabilized the situation after a poor first quarter also it was great to see franz wagner feeling okay and playing pretty well after an injury sometimes it's not so easy to to, to get back after an injury and perform on a high level and he did it in the second half especially maybe the plan was to give him a bit less minutes but since germany was never in a really comfortable lead they had to play him more in the second half 
instead of, let's say, a defensive player like Isaac uh, Bonga. Uh, so it was great to see Franz Wagner back on the court. For them to challenge Team USA, they need Franz close to 100% if that's possible. Uh, and, and yeah, what do you guys think about the last shot? Do you think that was a good decision by Davis? Should he go, go for other options? There's still like three seconds on, on the clock. Although for him, that's not an impossible shot. For him, that's not an impossible range. We know his abilities. So would you take it? Or in a, in a, in a perfect world, would you look for something else? In a, in a perfect world, probably he makes the pass to Jagars when he gets the rebound and Jagars do does something in the last eight seconds. But in this world where you are in the World Cup quarterfinal, chaotic sequence you choose to keep the ball to yourself you're saying hey i'm the leader of the team i'm going to decide this game uh, and i Davis hit six three-pointers before so yeah but but you know it's davis burton's shooting off the catch and davis burton's shooting off the dribble in transition is two different things even though even though i kind of like the shot i like you know i trust his capabilities from there and for me, what I like about this decision is that it, 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 uh, he shoots it with four seconds remaining. So Latvia has a possibility if he misses to get an offensive rebound and Roland Schmitz is kind of close to that rebound. You know, he could they could have had a chance if the bounce was a little bit different. So it's definitely not the worst shot possible for Latvia. I think it's, uh, I don't know, let's say if... 100% is the best shot possible in that scenario probably I would say 60% and you know since Germany were in bonus and in, in foul trouble you know maybe Jagers immediately attacking could have gotten them something better but to have Davis Burton shooting a three-pointer and have a possibility to take an offensive rebound that's pretty good shot in my eyes in in, in situation like this Okay, and I, I completely agree with you. I think I'm, I'm on your side. Uh, it's Davis Bertans. He's been hot the whole game. It's not like they can contest his shot with his size. And he was six from ten, I believe, shooting shooting the free. Uh, so you trust him. He's probably your, let's say, best player, your best shooter, definitely. Although what what Artur Jagers has been doing, the way he <laughs> kept his team in the game. It, it was just something else like you have Daniel Tais on a switch and Daniel Tais is known as an elite uh, center when he's switching and guarding uh, the perimeter and you don't have the option to drive to your to your right hand which is your strong hand so you're forced to drive to the left and he just blows by Daniel Tais and ends up with a really difficult high arcing shot over Daniel Tice, who's jumping as high as it's possible with his arms extended and you're making these shots in the fourth quarter in the quarterfinal when your team is down by four I mean wow I, I, I can't really I can't really understand how good he is I'm still thinking about the player who, who let's say played in, in Kadaini last, last year he's no Nevesh's player now he deserves a contract and an opportunity to prove himself on a on a higher level team and maybe even Euroleague who knows maybe somewhere in Spain but it 
this performance by by Arthur Jagers, I mean, it it gets recognition from Mike James, so it's it's just wow, game recognizes game. What, Maybe what only for the say? number fifty five. <laughs> Donatus, you want to Jagers. try something? Yeah, I mean Jagers, twenty four points, eight assists against Germany. Not only ties, it was uh, he was also cooking Isaac uh, Bonga. In the previous game against Brazil, a never do or die match, 17 points. The game against France, the biggest upset uh, early into the World Cup competition, 22 points, 5 assists. And I had just had uh, this question uh, for you guys, and Ritis already started uh, you know, this topic. Are we talking about the Euroleague material? Are we talking about him being a Euroleague player already? Um, I mean, maybe. Maybe. Although, yes. Uh, Euroleague season is, is different, it's a long distance, and you might not make these spectacular plays every week, uh, you might you might uh, face some struggles. I would be thinking, first of all, let's say Liga Andesa, uh, a good solid team in, in Spain who maybe plays in the Euro Cup or in the Champions League, but if, if you have an offer from, from Euroleague, Basconia, Valencia or whatever, well, it's a no-brainer. You take it. Looking from team's perspective, you know, you could have two, two, two ideas. There is a reason why Zagars played for Kedaini Neveges this season. I mean, he hasn't played a full season probably in who knows for how long. And despite being one of the best talents when he was younger, you know, a lot of injuries. He had a lot of injuries already and, and pretty bad injuries with his ankle. So... You know, Neves is beating Ritas uh, for a couple of times wasn't wasn't a fluke. It was it was him and some other guys playing much better than the team they're playing for. But uh, so you could think he needs a good season in Euro Cup, a good season in a domestic league like let's say Spain. I think he would fit perfectly in Spain. And uh, then after a, a good season where he plays consistent, where he plays the majority of the games, then you, one Euroleague, some Euroleague team grabs him. But I wouldn't be surprised if some Euroleague team says, hey, we are taking a flyer on this guy. We are betting on this guy because we love what we saw in the World Cup. And that, that wouldn't be stupid. I mean, this guy is cooking NBA players. And so mm, I think it could go either way. And I'm really interested to see where, where he lands. I know for sure uh, that BC Wolves uh, from Vilnius were, let's say, very aggressive uh, about Jaggers. They tried to sign him. They will him. play in the Euro Cup. Yeah, they will play in the Euro Cup. Uh, but after this game, not sure how it will go for them because he's drawing a lot of interest. And I had a couple of conversations. Okay, not a couple, a few conversations. And uh, Euroleague people see him as the Euroleague material already. But an, in an interesting part is that some wouldn't be surprised if he would get a shot at the NBA, which surprised me, uh, to be honest. But that's the feedback that I also heard from, from, from NBA wow. people, let's say. So his, his stock is really hot. Somebody might make emotional uh, decision. And it's just crazy how the competition change the stock uh, of this player and uh, speaking about his future i think i just think that jagars he's a very talented kid but i think that what also um, doesn't help him to stay to play consistently and to stay healthy consistently is let's say 
off the floor things and if he takes things more seriously if he will be more disciplined uh and he he will look more seriously at his development he should be fine he had some nice stretches in Nevejas uh regarding this matter so it's a lot of is in his hands so best of luck to this young kid he in my eyes he's the you know biggest standout uh, of of this FIBA World Cup competition and as Augusta said, I'm, I'm just really curious to see who will end up signing him. And I, now I have doubts that it will be BC Wolves. Um, and, and you know, another man who actually increased his value during this FIBA World Cup from Latvia is their head coach. Uh, Luka Banki was brave enough to play small ball with Latvia, to play switch-all defense versus teams like Germany, France, that has so much talent. And, and he just, I mean, his, the way Latvia plays on offense, it's just smart basketball. It's not only about the skills that, let's say, Jagers, Zorix or some other players have, or, or Schmitz being uh, one of the best power forwards in, in, in the EuroLeague, according to, to last season's data. But it's, it's, it's about how they play, and that's just smart basketball. All the players are in their best positions. The spacing is, is always good. There's always the extra pass. You always search for mismatches when you have, let's say, Gradulis with his confidence sky high and, and the way he's been playing as their um, main center. So the credit goes to the head coach, obviously. Without good coaching, you don't have that because you're, you cannot match Germany with talent. You cannot match France with talent. They faced European champions, European finalists, and European bronze medal winners. They beat the first two. And they lost only by one shot versus Germany. So what Luka Banki has done in this in this World Cup is, is, is really amazing. And for example, okay, Germany goes on a run. He takes a timeout. After the timeout, they come back with a perfect, pure Spain pick and roll with, with Davis Bertans. And that, that's the moment where, where I catch myself thinking, like, Bertans with his size and shooting abilities is like the perfect Spain pick and roll executor in, in the European game. Like... And yeah, so Luca Banki has to be mentioned and has to get a, a lot of credit for I all just, of this. I just wanted to add, you know, a lot of people in basketball say timing is everything, especially players. And I think for Jagers, Jagers is the prime example and will be for for a long time. You have a guy who is an injury, you know, have a, have an injury riddled career, and he comes into the World Cup without a contract plays three weeks of amazing basketball and now you know you are even saying NBA teams are talking about a guy who played for the eighth spot LKL team this last season I mean talk about changing careers changing lives for a player so um, a lot of times you know you know we are we are judging a lot of guys maybe he didn't have a good career this guy have a, had a much better career but a lot of times it's just these small decisions small uh, periods of time that that could change that could make or break a player's career so in Jagger's case this is amazing to watch and just another example of how uh, timing is everything in basketball so guys Lithuania Serbia the most painful game for us Lithuanians also very weird game I would say uh, we were expecting a close game but unfortunately we did see Lithuania playing the worst basketball in a few weeks and on the other side of the floor there was this amazing Serbia uh, led by 
Boggy's leadership, first of all, 18 first half points. And then Nikola Milutinov, although he had a tough beginning against Jonas Valanciunas, it felt like he almost outmatched Valanciunas in the rest of the game, or at least was, you know, the best uh, matchup for him in a center position uh, that Valanciunas faced. Then there was there were these X factors like Alex Avramovic making four steals in 14 minutes, Stefan Jovic basically killing us in the third quarter with his three-point shooting with some amazing passes, open looks that he created for his teammates, and you know the Lithuanians for me they just lacked of being more sharp, more confident with their decisions. I lacked of better decision making, uh, which also translated into hesitation shooting with the ball. So. A lot of negative things from Lithuania sides, a lot of positive positives uh, for Serbians. Uh, what surprised you the most? And would you agree with this popular question and topic, at least in Lithuania, that Lithuania should have stopped playing basketball against Team USA uh, in the third quarter to lose the game and to match Italy in the quarterfinals? Absolutely not. Uh, I'm really glad we got this win against USA. It's, it doesn't really matter if you want to win the first place, you have to beat everybody. And it just happened that Serbia played a perfect game and Lithuania played a very bad one. But Serbia made Lithuania to play in this bad way with their defense, with their aggressive defense. And, you know, some say that the first quarter was okay. I didn't like what I saw from the first possession. Bogdan Bogdanovic getting that steal, getting an easy layup. Made him feel made him feel a little bit better, you know, going forward with his shoot, his shooting, and he finished with a a really great uh, night. And I even wrote this on Twitter, and I got a response, you know, that how first shot, how first shot is uh, important for players. And uh, Jordan Lloyd actually responded that yeah, it helped, but you know, these are elite players, and even if they miss, it doesn't really happen. Um, so I did a quick research on Jordan's, uh, I know I'm going far with this, but I made a quick research on when Jordan Lloyd misses or makes the first shot, his point average, what, what looks like. And, uh, in the last season in the EuroLeague, when Lloyd missed the first shot, the average was 9.6. When he made the first shot, his average was 16.5. That's a plus seven point difference. And usually when you make your first shot, he was going for 20 plus points, like, Mm, so it, it doesn't make you know everything right conclusions but it definitely helped boggy that he got a layup out of this but i thought that we gotta give credit where credit is due and it's for svedislav pesic you know we raised questions about his decision making but the game plan was perfect they were aggressive from the first moments they were alexa brown which was incredible getting free steals in the half court you know not near the rim, but on the other side of the court. That was huge. I think uh, they made an emphasis on attacking Valanciunas in the drop. He was non-existent, basically, defending the rim against Bogey. Um, Petrushev at the five was crucial. He, Lithuanians couldn't do anything. Pick and pops, one-on-one, -on -one, catching the ball on the closeout situations. I thought the Natsmutyuna's defense was was not 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 great at all. A lot of Lithuanians got beaten on the first step. Uh, Lithuanians to trying were trying to deny Bogdanovic from the ball. He just getting he was just getting uh, he was just doing backdoors and getting open layups. I thought that was that was an issue as well. And uh, yeah, 
Serbians' weak defense influenced uh, Lithuanians' left-handed players to drive right, and that negated all of their scoring possibilities. So we were not creating a lot from you know against the Milutinov pick and roll, where we said it's going to be the weak spot. So Serbia did checked all the boxes basically in this game and deserved this win from first minute to the to the last minute. You know, there was no question. I don't remember the score at the half. I don't think it was uh, a big difference, but I was like thinking... 11 it points, does... that's... I would say a okay. significant difference. Significant, 11 yeah. points. But, and, and everyone was thinking maybe, yeah, we could do some adjustments, we could come back. I was like, this doesn't look good at all. The, you, we tried zone and stuff like that, but Stevan Jovic made us, punished us for the risks, and it was it. You know, I thought... Serbia are playing way too good for us to come back in this game. And we weren't hitting all the frees like we did. Though only 32% yeah. while we had 47 coming into this game. Although we didn't create as easy looks as, as we did versus yeah, USA or, 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 or Greece. Those, those were at least semi-contested shots usually. And yeah. uh, for players like Kuzminskas and, 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 and some others, those were not easy shots to make. And we didn't have Benjils as our stretch four. Uh, he, he's there for shooting purposes. So, But I'm not using it as an excuse. That would be, that would be um, unfair to Serbia because they just outplayed us. And, and they were... The way they were rotating defensively, it seemed like they're fighting for their lives. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that was just something. Even, let's say, Stefan Jovic working with Brasdekis and not allowing him to get to his spots. And also, of course, there's always uh, a help defender prepared. And, and they basically forced Brasdekis to play hero ball. And all the shots that he was taking, those were not, not really good shots. I mean, uh, they, they forced him to his right hand. They forced him to shoot high arcing tough shots. And he was just playing hero ball. And that's, that's not what get a, got us wins uh, in previous stages, you know. And, and I would say that Serbia basically exposed Lithuania's weaknesses that weren't exposed before in this competition. One of them being uh, a lack of ball handlers. Even Alexa Avramovic stealing those balls is, n is no coincidence. They knew that they can get those steals. They knew that our ball handlers are, are let's say, vulnerable. And, and you can press them a full court and, and make their life difficult. And, and having Avramovic with so much energy, it, it just worked. Also, our guards cannot attack the switch. That's obvious. We have good ball movement, we have good space and we create shots, we look for mismatches inside the paint. But let's say Serbia switches on defense and you have Milutinov on Jakubaitis. Jakubaitis is not Dennis Schroeder, he's not Lorenzo Brown, he's not Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards or, or, or whatever. Um, he's a pick he and roll guy. He's a pick and roll player. He doesn't attack the switch, he doesn't play one-on-one. -on -one. We don't have players that play one-on-one, -on -one. only Brasdekis. But... With this hero ball with three bodies on him, he, he ended up with three field goals from 11 or something like that. So they exposed all of our weaknesses and also they were um, better prepared mentally. Uh, I mean, the lack of discipline was clear watching Lithuania. And it, at, at, at some moments, I, I, I actually got angry during the game because they used their four fouls the way they're supposed to be used 
to stop the fast breaks after your own turnover, after a long rebound or, or whatever. We couldn't use our four fouls. It was painful to see point. Guduric driving to his left and finishing with a layup while we were on two team fouls. And we gave away like 10 or 12 cheap points in, in the same manner. And it's, it, 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 if you want to win a quarterfinal versus a tough team like Serbia, you cannot afford that. And yes, it didn't help. We, we, we didn't have a good shooting night, but we, we all said and agreed that our shooting is not sustainable. It, what we did versus Greece and the USA, it was impossible to expect to have the same numbers. Although in the first quarter, well, Chunas hit a freeze, so the Kerskis <laughs> hit a couple, and it seemed like, okay, it's continuing. So, just hats off to Serbia, Coach Pesic, the way they were prepared. Uh, again, they, they've, they've proven that they are real warriors when they go on that court and they play for Serbia in a quarterfinal. Uh, mentality is also a big thing. And Bogdanovic, as you said, not only the first layup, he got some easy points from, from backdoor cuts, and, and Normantas had problems guarding him let's say and when you get let's say six points out of your layups then it becomes easier for you to hit a long range shot because you feel more confidence and everything uh, i think he scored 18 in the first half he didn't score as much in the second because they found other options and okay those stefan jovic three-pointers that Blata said basically killed us those were our risks let's say uh there's not much you can do you go under the screen you give him that shot he makes it after that he makes a spot up shot then you go double uh, uh in the post to help and you just leave you wide open he gets the ball back and hits another one but at that point of the game we were already in trouble we were down by 12 or 14 so it's not like jovic misses and we win the game but it i agree that basically it, you know it almost killed us there were some attempts to save ourselves in the fourth quarter, some, let's say, a very small lineup with Sedekerskis as a five, but that was just too late. We couldn't do anything and Serbia was just too strong for us on the night. Yeah, I'm, I'm still taking this victory against Team USA. I already mentioned on the previous podcast the impact uh, of those wins that makes for you know future generations and just for this team, uh, for the coaching staff, for all these players to beat Team USA is, is something that happens once in a lifetime. And they, they, sh they should have this privilege to enjoy the game, to enjoy the night of the tournament. And I'm taking this game because I don't, f I don't like why so many people you know, ruled out Italy as a serious opponent because the way we played uh, when we had a bad shooting night as well, I didn't see us winning against Italy at all. And it is, Italy is a serious good team. Uh, you can argue which which is better, which is a more stronger opponent, but I didn't like the fact how a lot of Lithuanians ruled uh, written uh, them off. Uh, but yeah, at, at the end, I'm just uh proud of this team proud of this group they exceeded uh expectations not just in lithuania but uh i would say in in, in front of all this worldwide basketball uh community it was a journey to remember remember we all gonna remember uh this german uh, this journey as well and this victory against team usa and i mean it is what it is we lost a better opponent and playing this way we, sh we would have lost to, to anybody basically so i don't necessarily agree with that i don't necessarily agree with that 
uh, with Italy, we would face different challenges, uh, different uh, defensive tactics, and let's say a different lineup. So I, I cannot say that if we play like this, we lose to Italy. Now it's impossible to prove a point here, but I, I don't agree that the same things would happen and we lose to Italy the way we lost to Serbia, but whatever. We're not picking opponents. We had the opportunity to beat USA. The guys did it. I'm happy for them. Unfortunately, now we end up playing for the fifth place, which doesn't give you uh, a spot in the Olympics. So it's just basically you're playing for your honor. But I still hope to see our guys uh, prepare for these games and represent our country the way the way they should. It Italy, Team USA. Is it even hey, hey more man, I, have say, <laughs> I have to say all of our words or everything that we said in our quarterfinals predictions was evident on the court. Italy was a very comfortable opponent for, for Team USA. Yep. And since they were, were serious enough to start defending from the beginning of the first quarter, they just got their lead early. And that's it. I think the game was over in the middle of the second quarter. It didn't help that Italy couldn't make shots. It didn't help that Fontecchio struggled in the first half. But I'm just grasping at straws. There's no exactly. big difference whether he was by 30 or 20 or what. It, Italy was a really comfortable opponent for Team USA and also Americans. Uh, even without Anthony Edwards' contribution, basically. Created shots easily, passed the ball, ran to fast breaks. Alley-oops, dunks, spectacular plays, blocks. It seemed like the dream team of, 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 of 92 Barcelona Olympics when Halliburton ran. And through the legs, he threw a pass, alley-oop pass to Banquero. Like, we, it was showtime. So and there's not much to talk about. You know, Ritis, uh, I'm not going to add anything about the game. You said it perfectly. But uh, this was the situation you mentioned in, in the end with uh, Halley throwing a between-the-legs lob pass to Banquero. And I still, you know, get a lot of Italian people on my social feeds. So I saw that Italian people took this as an offense. And I'm like, what are you talking about, guys? It doesn't matter what's the score at the moment. This is basketball game and... Basketball is in form of entertainment. This is the sport. And they are taking it as an offense. Like these guys are creating show. It doesn't matter if they are down down 20 or they're up by 20. I mean, that was a beautiful basketball play. I mean, just as just as you want to see a step back three pointer after a nice dribbling, that's that's the equivalent to it. I mean, what's the reason they're saying like it's a two on zero you you just make a layup or a dunk and that's it so yeah they made a dunk but why do you care how they made the pass like it, it could have been off so are you going to be mad if it's if it's a pass off the backboard what i i don't understand this logic um behind this and it was a beautiful basketball play you know everywhere in the highlights i enjoyed it if they made it against a lithuanian team i would be Wow, this is a super nice play. You know, only maybe, only maybe USA got, can do this. Maybe they got too emotional because that was Bancaro who finished the play. Maybe you know. I'm not sure. Uh, they so they got emotional. I think they got emotional after uh, Mikhail Bridges that threw three fingers uh, towards Gigi Datome. That was that was that wasn't a gun though. Dude, like, 
No, that's what he does all the time after making a free free. It's just that he did it straight to his face, straight, which is kind of yeah. inappropriate. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying I, I'm not know. saying I'm not saying it's appropriate. I'm not saying it's it's appropriate. But some people thought it was a gun gun sign, and that that definitely wasn't. They they, no. they even showed the replay. It's three fingers. It hits celebration in the NBA. Obviously, doing it directly to Digitatome face. That's a technical. I agree absolutely with this, but I think. Italians got emotional after this moment and then the situation after was the and their reaction was just the result of of this moment and the result and and all of that but once again Italy yeah. had an amazing journey uh, as well uh, we didn't see them uh, winning the second group's uh, phase uh, not many saw them uh, winning that group phase with uh, Serbia they kind of they were kind of unlucky facing Team USA quarterfinals and yep. who got emotional was of course Gianmarco Pozzeco. Amazing press conference and especially Nicola Melli, he also had some strong words and just wanted to give a credit to the coaching staff of, of Italy. You know, a lot of people on the highlights, we see Gianmarco Pozzeco only, but there are a lot of uh, assistant coaches uh, helping Gianmarco Pozzeco, building the game plan, uh, making in-game in adjustments. And what's funny about this group is that all the assistant coaches came to the press conference as if some bodyguards of Gianmarco Pacheco. And, you know, I was like, you know, there are no referees. He's not going to be ejected. So there's no need to, to, uh, to, to, to put all these security forces in the press conference. But probably it's just their thing, you know, being together everywhere. I even remember last year in Eurobasket when there was a pregame press conference, all the assistant coaches were there as well. So, so yeah, it's, it's just interesting phenomenon. Of, of Italian basketball with the coaching staff that they have and and they're all doing great job and and back-to-back -back years to make it to the top eight first in the Eurobasket and now World Cup it's a huge thing I wish him I wish them finally to you know make this step forward but probably they're paying this uh, you know for 2004 Olympic uh, victory against Lithuanian semifinals all all that luck that they're missing now was <laughs> in that gym in that arena you're saying it like they did something unfair to us they just made shots <laughs> come on man I know it hurts but it's 19 years ago let it uh, go nah <laughs> I don't care to be honest. From even okay, from that game, I fall in love uh, with Italian basketball uh, because of that shooting night. So, okay, man. Res only respect to to our friend Italians, and let's finish the podcast with our predictions. Uh, first, Serbia and Canada will start semifinals. What do you think about that game? Wow, that's gonna be a hell of a game, and I think out of the four teams left. Serbia is different. Like we have three teams that play the modern day basketball, uh, NBA style of basketball, let's say. And Serbia is old school, but also they have the talent. So yeah, it's a really tough game to predict, but I think that Serbia beating Lithuania now already qualifying for the Olympics puts them in such a good position mentally they will definitely be prepared they will definitely be up for it and um i'm gonna go with serbia i i think shai gilgis alexander is the mvp of the tournament i think canada has been great but let's remember they were walking on thin ice playing spain they were really close to being eliminated and they lost to brazil they had problems shooting the ball 
Now versus Slovenia, they didn't face the same issues, but they didn't face really tough defense that Serbia can can offer. So yeah, I I do believe that Canada are the favorites, but I'm gonna predict Serbia in the final. Wow. Um, I'm going to go with Canada. Although I like that, you know, Serbia has a huge advantage in Milutinov, I think, in this game. His post-ups against Dwight Powell, you know, if Canada want to play with Kelly Olenek, I know Milutinov might have an issue, you know, if if he's, you know, if they play Canada, play pick and roll. But inside, I think they have a huge advantage with him. But at the same time, they have Lou Dort and Dylan Brooks to put on Bogdan Bogdanovic. So it's going to re be a really, really interesting battle of different, I think, defensive schemes. But I just think in games like this, where probably defense is going to decide who wins, Canada has Canada has more to offer, a little bit more. And uh, their defense to offense transition basketball is something that separates them from, from all the other guys, even though Serbia do a great job of it as well but i don't know i think it's i think it's going to be a really close game and but canada prevailing in the end since they have the best player on the court and had i think they have a bit better defense i love canada i love their roster uh, i love the way they fit to fiba basketball i love the coaching staff of jordi fernandez and i think that bonifaz and dong is under the coaching staff i think i saw him in the mix zone but I'm also but, going with Serbia, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going with Serbia because Milutinov, that's that's the list that I have for my arguments to go with Serbia. I mean, I agree that Canada is more talented team. I think that, let's say, they are favorites to win this one, but Milutinov will play a huge role against Canada centers. I think Serbia is more physical, way more physical than Slovenia, so I expect a better defense. They don't depend on one player so much as Slovenia. Uh, does they Serbians are emotional? Uh, emo they are emotional, but they handle emotions way better and won't get much so much into these distractions by Dylan Brooks referee, referees or against the whole world. And I just cannot see Dylan Brooks, you know, shooting threes uh, so successfully as he did in the last pre previous uh, two two previous games. So, you know, there's point there. There's another point over there, and and overall, I see Serbia. Uh, a little bit sensationally going to the finals. Okay, okay. I mean, Dylan Brooks might not shoot, but you know, Kelly Olenek had a pretty subpar game scoring-wise in the quarterfinals. He might he might have a huge word in, in, in the semifinals, so who knows? I also liked how Alexander Walker had a nice run in the second quarter and then I had a three-pointer in the second half. He was huge as well. So Canada has weapons. Canada have weapons. Serbia also. Uh, yeah. I like that our opinions are diverse here, so I'm really waiting what for about the semifinal. Germany and USA. Are we going to share the same opinion? Now, but I feel I that a, we might I have a really precise prediction. 111, 105, high scoring game. Team USA takes the W. <laughs> Anthony Edwards scores forty-two points. And we will be beats the entertained. record of the United States. We will be entertained. And I do believe that USA will advance <laughs> to the finals. Although again, I'm expecting a bounce back game from Dennis Schroeder. 
and Germany has a lot of weapons. Uh, I said it on air, and to me, Germany looks like a club. The way the team is built, it seems like a GM was picking the players. Because on in, in national team basketball, yep. teams have flaws, like some team lacks a good center, some team lacks a good point guard, some team lacks depth. Germany has everything. It looks like there was a general manager who was just signing players with contracts and put them all together and signed the head coach, Gordy Herbert. But as nice as they are, as good as they are, as much as I like them, I still believe that Team USA will win this semifinal. Mm, I believe I believe the way USA are playing, I mean, they are they were much more focused in the quarterfinal than versus Lithuania. They played great defense from the start. Um, so they are going to take this seriously from the first minute. They have so many weapons. They're playing better, I would say, in, in every game. And probably they are the favorites in my eyes as well. But here, just like I went with against the logic with Luca versus Australia, against my own logic. So I'm going to go here as well with Germany. I think it's going to be it's going to be a huge bounce back game for for Dennis. I would like to see France a little bit more healthy, let's say. He's probably still feeling the pain. He's probably playing, you know, with painkillers or so, or something and it's good that he had one game under his legs already in the quarterfinal, but he wasn't as active and as he was, you know, when he was more healthier. So I hope to see him let's say more ready for the semifinal because they will need him a lot and Germany has the off-ball movement and the sets that involve a lot of navigating through screens let's say that one of their most uh, sets efficient that worked even even yesterday was they play a pick and roll to the left side and on the right side there is a pin down screen for Andy Obst or Franz Wagner and he can curl and this is an off-ball action that I think USA will have a lot of trouble dealing with so I'm predicting a really high scoring game as well but I think Germany could be could have a surprise here and, and be in the final going with Germany as well then Schroeder for sure will bounce back uh, as you said Franz Wagner he had a he it took some time for him to adjust with his body, with his ankle, to feel the game again after missing four or five FIBA World Cup games. It's, it's, it's tough. But now having this better game rhythm, some practices, he'll, he should be better uh, for the game against the United States. And I think that Germany is, I would say, as much as perfectly fitted to uh, match up USA as Canada. But the huge advantage, advantage is, that they have is their chemistry that they built from the Eurobasket uh, 2022. So I hope that Team USA will be a little bit more relaxed compared to the game against Italy. And that's when Germany will hit them and they crush them and they're going to make it to the finals. So I didn't expect to see Germany and Serbia in the finals uh, of the World Cup before the tournament. And I feel weird about potentially seeing this matchup. But that's these are my predictions for, for semis. But I think both semifinals are so close. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, uh, Serbia, Canada, I would say it's like 55, 45, even 50, 50. Uh, Germany, Germany, uh, USA is, I would say, 60, 40, maybe at the most for USA. So, 
but yeah, they, these teams are every team is so balanced. Well, every team is playing great basketball, so every team has something to offer, like uh, uh, an advantage over looking looking at the other team's uh, weaknesses. So just can't can't really wait for semifinals. It's going to be two great matches, I believe. Okay, guys. So thank you all for your insights. Uh, follow. Follow all the World Cup action on basketnews.com. Please press like button below this video and subscribe basketnews.com YouTube channel. Follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and just enjoy the semifinals. It's going to be exciting. And we will get back to you soon after the semis to, to share our takes about those two games and also to give our predictions uh, for the final. It's crazy to, to, to think that we're just basically four games away of finishing the World Cup. Uh, but yeah, I'm kind of happy yeah. it's, it's going to I see time. that you are not counting also the five the, the games for fifth, eighth place. So. <laughs> nope. All right.